men lay barely conscious at the back of the cell. A policeman sat just outside the room. Still, Vikas felt like he and the man sitting across from him had the space to themselves. The man looked different from the last time they had met. His beard was thicker and his clothes were stained. Dark circles had formed around his eyes. The man smiled, but it was not as bright as Vikas remembered. Tarun? he asked hesitantly. You remembered, the man said. Yes, I'm sorry. I was just trying to make sure I got your name right. I'm really bad with names. I'm Vikas. You seem like you got yourself into more trouble since the last time. At least you were sitting outside then. It's just been a weird phase in my life. One of the men in the back stirred, mumbled a few words and seemed to go back to sleep. Tarun looked at him. Vikas was more concerned with the cuts on his knees. Lines of dried blood were now turning black with the dirt settling on top. None of the cuts were deep enough to worry about. It seems like we're going to be spending some time together, Tarun said. Vikas struggled to find a comfortable position to sit in. Don't worry, it gets easier over time. I would be lying if I said it's comfortable, but you get used to it, Tarun said. Sitting in the cell for over an hour had put all sorts of thoughts in Vikas's mind. The shock of being thrown in there unexpectedly had worn off. He'd believed it was just temporary. As soon as the paperwork was cleared, he'd waltz out of there. As time went by, the anxiety began to loom large over him. Had he pushed his luck too far this time? Had Anirudh found out and decided that this was his fate? I'm really sorry, man, these guys just wouldn't let me in to see you, Kapil said, bursting into the room. Are you okay? They're trying to pull some shady shit, but don't stress. You should be out of there in no time. I'm fine, Vikas responded. He dragged himself to his feet. Don't worry, there are two lawyers on their way. I haven't called your parents because I think we'll get you out of here before they even realize you've gone. It was a good idea to have all those cameras in place. The lawyers have already been sent all the footage and they think these cops are just fucking around for no reason. The words rattled out of Kapil. He was clearly flustered. Has any of this made the news? Vikas asked. Fuck that. Don't worry about that shit. Can we just focus on getting you out of here first? Okay, now listen, I was told I have only 10 minutes. They are waiting for a more senior inspector to come back from his rounds or whatever before they can talk to us. These guys have to keep you locked up until he gets here. Don't worry. Even if they kick me out of this room, I won't leave this place until you get out. It won't be long. Thanks. Vikas paused for a moment to look towards the constable at the door before he whispered. Listen, they have my wallet and phone. Don't worry, we'll get it back. They won't take anything. They can't even unlock your screen. Listen to me. There's a piece in my wallet, maybe two J's worth. If they find it, ask the lawyers what to do. Fuck, man. Nothing is easy with you. You want me to take a picture of you to put up on Facebook? Hashtag thug life? Fuck off, asshole. You want some food? Those uncles are bringing you some food. You are their new fucking hero, Kapil said. Vikas shook his head. The constable entered the room and asked Kapil to leave. Hero? It isn't every day that I get to meet a hero. Would you mind if I ask what you did? Tarun asked. Just fighting the good fight, my friend. Vikas said. Please go on, Tarun said. Vikas took a deep breath. So, somebody had been smearing black paint across these hoardings the party has across the city, that Paragtare campaign. 
They're obviously pissed and their goons are all over the city shutting down shops and shit. I just helped the local shopkeepers association organize and drive these guys away. It was actually pretty cool. They all came out with bats and sticks and confronted the party workers. I must admit I'm truly impressed. Because I got these uncles into a fight. My friend, I am impressed that you remembered me. I know you have been outside and probably have so many other things going on. While you may or may not believe it, I have thought about our last conversation more times than I would care to admit to. You must understand, of course, that conversation here has been scarce. Tarun nodded towards the other men in the cell. One of them was sitting up. While his eyes were open, he wasn't quite all there. What conversation? I wonder if you might remember questioning the impact of activism over the years. You were the one that wanted to follow the smartest men in the world into a disconnected life. Now, sitting with you inside this cell feels like a full circle for me. They have dragged you into the fight. Who has? The party. Whoever it is you seem to be up against. It's a long story and I don't really feel like getting into it right now. That is all right. Neither of us are going anywhere anytime soon. There is no rush. I really hope that is not the case. How long have you been in here anyway? Around 20 days. Wow, that sounds serious. You said it was a protest, right? Yes, it's just how they operate. First, they took me and my colleagues in separately on some made-up charges. Once we are in, they will file complaints in various courts across the country, citing some sort of accusation. Because it is in various parts of the state, I will have to defend myself in all those courts. Obviously, that needs considerable legal resources, which I don't have. My current lawyer is just travelling from town to town to get an accurate list of charges levied against me. Of course, there is no need for you to worry. It doesn't apply to you. I get special attention. As the day inched over to the afternoon, the heat in the cell became unbearable. It was almost as disconcerting as the smell. Outside, Vikas could hear lots of voices. By the time they reached him, they dissolved into one collective hum. He could tell that a number of men from the association had made their way to the station. Couple was right. A story and a day off. Why would they go back to their daily routine now? Vikas sat in his cell dealing with the most excruciating part of confinement, the waiting. He looked up to see Inspector Kamble standing at the door, dressed as sharp as ever. Awkwardly, he smiled. It was the kind of smile that surfaces when a relative walks past in the middle of a smoke. Mr. Das, every time I see you, you surprise me. I expect I shall never see you again, but here you are. You just keep on coming back, the inspector said. I just miss our conversations, Vikas said. The inspector wasn't impressed. I will allow your close friends and relatives to stay, but we cannot allow this circus you have brought with you outside, Kamble said. Sir, I have not been told what is happening and why I am being held. When can I leave? Young man, for somebody who keeps coming back here again and again, you are either very smart or very stupid. Either way, I don't need to explain to you why you are here. Now, I believe your immediate family is not here? He looked down at the file he held. Who is this Kapil Desai? He is a close friend, sir. I will let him stay along with the lawyers. The rest must leave or I will book them for unlawful gathering as well. I have already told the lawyers this. The inspector walked out of the room, and as soon as he did, 
couple was escorted to the room by a constable. He was carrying some food. To Vikas's surprise, the constable walked up to the cell and opened the door to let him out. Pandra minute mein sab khatam karo, he said. Vikas pulled out a neatly rolled puri, stuffed with potatoes from the bag couple had given him. He took a step towards the cell and offered it to Tarun. Not allowed, the constable said. Please go ahead. I am not hungry anyway, Tarun said. Vikas only shook his head. Couple spoke softly. Look, man, the lawyer says they are just delaying the paperwork. They have not officially charged you with anything yet. They will probably just let you go, but if they hold up your paperwork for release up until six in the evening, you might be here for the night. I think that is what they want, just to make shit uncomfortable. Is our lawyer any good? Just get me out, man. I don't know how to explain this to my parents. Vikas took a bite of the food. He was trying hard to block out the smell. I will ask Dad to call them and explain this to them. Don't worry about it. Just make sure they don't worry and shit. Please don't make them come down here. When will the lawyers know how long? That's the thing. They aren't sure because basically these guys are just stalling. They seem to be pissed at you or something. It's not even a money scene. These guys are just being stubborn. It's probably coming from the party. They probably know it was me and now they are pissed. Look, can you do me a favor? If I'm here all night, can you get me some emodium? I cannot take a dump here, man. I just can't. Oh, fuck, of course. We are still talking to them to allow me and dad to sit in here with you. They're just being chutes for no reason. The white tube lights had taken over, illuminating the station. What's the toilet situation? Vikas asked, looking at Tarun. First clash. One of the men at the back of the cell slurred with a big grin on his face. Vikas didn't look at him. The constables let me use one in the back once a day. It's not pleasant, but it's there, Tarun said. Kapil walked in again, holding a bag of food. His head hung low and his feet looked heavy. Doesn't look like anything will happen tonight, man. I'm damn sorry, he said. Got the pill? Vikas asked. Kapil nodded, handing it to him. I'm not going anywhere, man. I'll spend the night outside. The lawyer has assured us that you should be out first thing tomorrow. The paperwork is all done from our end, but they just wanted to keep you in overnight. They just refused to process anything. Basically, they just stalled through their working hours. Fucking assholes. It's fine, man. What are you going to do sitting around here? What do you mean? You think I'm going to let you have this story for yourself? Plus, all these uncles feel really bad for you. They're already planning some welcome for you tomorrow when you leave here in the morning. Fucking dholwalas and all. Look at my face. I'm not even fucking around a little bit. No fucking dholwalas in the morning. I'm being dead serious. I want nothing to do with it. I just want to go home, man. Okay, okay. I'm going to crash right here. Maybe I'll just whack a cop in the face so he throws me in with you. No offense, but you take up too much space. We're better off without you in here. But seriously, go home, man. Just get me out tomorrow morning. Make sure uncle and all don't come in here. It's a little weird talking to them from in here. Are my parents okay? Kapil nodded. He left the bag of food with the constable on his way out. Vikas was told he could ask for it whenever he wanted. How touching. You, my friend, made a sacrifice for these people. You have all the makings of a true revolutionary, Tarun said. Yup. Yup. Except for the one thing you need more than anything, 
actually giving a shit. Vikas sat quietly in one corner of the cell. The idle time finally took its toll. Without any warning, an eruption of emotion burst through him. He couldn't hold it back. The men around him, the cell he was in, the policemen outside, the party, none of it mattered. The floodgates opened. He cried, paying no heed to the world. There was no privacy. Eventually, some movement in the cell snapped Vikas out of his state of mind. He rubbed his eyes with his sleeve and sat up a little straighter. So, what keeps you occupied in here? You have been here a long time. How do you pass the time? he asked Tarun. His voice cracked as he spoke. I have been really lucky with the company I have had. Poor guys, it's probably withdrawal from whatever they were addicted to, Tarun replied. He was kind enough to ignore the outburst. Seriously, what do you do? Well, mostly I sit and think about things, Tarun said. He was still stretching. Vikas wasn't sure if this was a yoga routine or just a way to keep his muscles from atrophy in the cell. And what have you been thinking about lately? To be honest, recently I have been thinking about you. What about me? Despite what you say about your lack of conviction, here you are, standing by what you believe in. I think we have that in common. You might not like to hear this, but I have a lot of respect for what you are doing. I know you are not telling me the whole story, but anybody at your age going up against the party takes courage. It just pains me to see you suffer like this. I am not taking on the party. You don't have to tell me. I don't want to know what your fight is about. If you don't mind, I would just like to share some of what I have learned from years of doing this. Please do. You can choose to do whatever you like with what I am telling you. It is just my opinion but I believe it might help. Now, your first step is always the most difficult. You have to find a way to take the emotions out of it. Understand that the people you are up against have a system within which they operate. If you look at it closely, you will be able to see what they can or cannot do. Like us, they have limitations, fears, accountability, all of it. It is just that you won't find their pressure points in the places you expect. You have to learn to look in the right places. These people don't function like you. You have to stop assuming they do. You must remember that your emotions, your empathy, your unwillingness to be ruthless is already a considerable disadvantage you start with. Tarun seemed to know when to pause and let his words stew, if only for a moment. The next thing you must understand is the weapons they have at their disposal. You need to find ways to not let them affect you. They could use the legal system, financial clout, or even brute force. Understand how these things work, where you have wiggle room to hide. They can all be beaten. Of course, if you get killed, you get killed, but everything else you can fight. The moment Tarun said killed, Vikas sat upright. Finally, pick your arenas. There's no point fighting them on a battleground they have built. Instead, fight them on one where you feel you have the best shot. It might be a digital war, a propaganda war, a legal battle, or even a healthy debate. Just pick your own battleground. Look, I really admire your courage and appreciate the thoughts, but I really don't want to fight anyone. I just want to get back to regular life, Vikas said. You know, in class, one of my favorite topics to discuss is social contract theory. Are you familiar with it? 
not even a little bit. It basically talks about society, the reason laws are created and how they benefit us as individuals or a group. For example, who benefits from a set of laws and how sometimes breaking them can benefit an individual. There's an entire theory about breaking laws? Well, not exactly breaking laws, but there is something called a prisoner's dilemma. Now, let's assume you and I commit robbery and get away with it. We make a social contract or a pact to never speak to anyone about it. Suppose we get caught. What happens? Morally, we should both confess. We both spend time in jail, but society benefits. We get nothing. Our agreement only works if the social contract between us holds and we both keep our mouths shut. Here is the interesting part. For either of us to maximize our benefit, we must confess. The other will spend their life in jail. The cops will let us go and we keep the money. Breaking the social contract when others won't will generally maximize rewards for the individual. Vikas frowned. So this theory actually encourages you to lie and cheat? There is no morality involved. It's just cause and effect. Let me give you another example. Imagine we live in a really polluted city. There is a device that can be mounted on the cars to cut their pollution, but it is expensive. Now what happens if we assume everyone has one car? It seemed like this was a question Tarun had posed many times in a classroom. It had the ring of a textbook to it. If one person gets the device, that person is disadvantaged because of the expense. Society does not benefit. Pollution is still high. The only way it works is if there is some enforceable contract between everyone to get the device. This contract is generally where either laws or morals come in. Everyone does it to benefit society because it is the right thing to do. Or the government makes it a law. Here is where it gets interesting. Think of the person who finds a way to beat that contract. That person does not spend money on getting the device, but gets all the benefits of the cleaner air. One car will make barely any difference, so everyone will have clean air, but the greatest benefit will go to the person that broke the rule. Vikas frowned. He was still not sure where Tarun was going with this conversation. Breaking the rules when nobody else does will always be the best way to get what you want, given the system around you is stable and standard. If you stick to the rules created, you will either be disadvantaged or neutral, Tarun concluded. So how does one person break the rules and not let that slip into anarchy? Well, that is where it gets interesting. The key there is to convince society that the breaking of contract was beneficial to them as a whole. If that happens, it will shift where the norm lies, alter the contract as such. If you break the rules and get caught, society will punish you. If you break them and show why it was for the greater good, that's a different story. Let's not play around with these examples of cars and prisoners. You are talking about taking on a political party, right? You are saying the best way to do it would be to go outside the law to do it. In theory, yes. What you will need is a large enough communication tool to explain to the people why your form of justice was beneficial to everyone and it will automatically begin to drift within the bounds of acceptable. A bit like Robin Hood. In this case, I believe your biggest hurdle would be to show why you and not everyone else would be the one deciding who to prosecute. Prosecute? What do you mean prosecute? 
let's take it one step at a time. Let's say deliver justice instead of prosecute. First, you need to consider if you have the resources to execute any form of justice. Once you do, you might not even need to keep doing it over and over again, just one time to set a precedent, then it becomes a deterrent in itself. If you catch 20 corrupt politicians, the next 100 will not be as corrupt. It is just that right now they do not fear the consequences. The courts are not a deterrent. Vikas smiled. Tarun continued. South American drug cartels have been using this for years now. Society has almost accepted them as a part of the norm. It has become a new system where society works around their operations. They are now a part of the new society. The real question is whether you can get over what you consider your morals and go out and change the status quo. Can you go out and kill a politician? I mean, really commit to it. It would mean overcoming the voice in your head, screaming not to do it. Whether it is fear of spending your life in prison, the guilt of taking a life, or fear for the safety of your loved ones, you must be able to rationalize your thoughts. As soon as you can look at it as numbers on a sheet, that is half the battle won. The constable who had been stationed outside walked into the room. He rung the bars, hitting them with his stick. The conversation paused for a moment. The constable didn't say anything and simply went back to his seat outside. Let us assume you have already decided on who your target is. One politician who is clearly corrupt. He is probably a mass murderer. Let us even assume he is a senior national level leader. The attempt will mean you have to deal with impenetrable security and lots of media attention. Your move, young man. What is the plan? Tarun said. Well, the people guarding him are military trained. Whatever you say about the officials and bureaucrats, those commandos are not to be fucked with, Vikas said. That is true. These are the circumstances laid down. You might also want to consider things like minimizing collateral damage, listing the resources you need and making sure they can be obtained without being traced. Wait, are you really planning to kill someone? This is a very detailed hypothetical scenario you are drawing out. Yes, and I am discussing my plan with someone I met by chance in a holding cell in Andheri. Okay, given I have no experience with tactics and training, I would see if I can get someone with that kind of training to explain to me how VVIP protection works. That's a starting point. If I don't have any access and gun to my head had to execute it, here is how it would happen. Firstly, get a second-hand drone from a low-end film production company, nice and anonymous. I would learn how to make a small bomb and strap it to the drone. With a little bit of research, if I can get access to the person's schedule, I find out when they will be at a not very public event, maybe attending a board meeting for a company or something like that. Then it's simple. Scope out a nice vantage point to pilot the drone from. Practice to make sure you are good at it. Then just fly it at him when he steps out of his car and blow it up. Tarun laughed. Now you are thinking like a true revolutionary, he said. Maybe with some actual information for you to use, you might be better at this than you think you are. I can't believe you are trying to recruit me to your little Guy Fawkes club, Vikas said. Let me stop you now by saying you cannot afford me. Vikas was already awake when the constable opened the door to the cell. Folded up into the fetal position, 
He lay on the cold floor. He was shivering. Though his eyes were closed, he felt sure he hadn't slept all night. The window in the room was cracked open just enough for him to see that it was no longer pitch black outside. The constable stepped into the cell. Couple waited patiently behind the constable holding the cell door open. The cold floor had taken its toll on Vikas's body. His bones felt brittle, his muscles sore. He got to his feet and slowly walked out of the cell. Tarun looked like he was asleep. "You smell like shit, man," Kapil said. He held Vikas in a long embrace. Vikas appreciated the affection from his friend, but the warmth that came off Kapil's sizable frame was even more welcome. "They can't win if you don't give up, Vikas," said a groggy voice from inside the cell. "Stay out of trouble. This was great, but I really hope we never meet again," Vikas responded. He even managed a smile. Kapil's father was waiting outside with two lawyers. He handed Vikas a cup of coffee. "Beta, we will never forget what you have done for us. All of us are so grateful. We feel so bad that we could not get you out yesterday itself. Rest assured there is no record against your name. Now let's take you home. Your parents are very anxious to see you. Don't worry, I have spoken to them and told them about how brave you have been." The sound of running water on his head had become white noise, soothing static. Vikas had lost his handle on time sitting under his shower. His parents were upset. They were upset with his actions. They were upset with Kapil and his father for dragging him into a situation that he had nothing to do with. They were upset with the party for forcing the police to hold him overnight. His father had threatened to go to the police station and give them a piece of his mind. Vikas wasted no time in shutting down that idea. Don't let yourself get into shit like this again, he told himself. Ever. With half a bottle of shower gel and the weekly water supply for a household down the drain, he finally felt clean. That infernal smell was gone. His phone and wallet were still in the plastic bag from the police station. He tore it open. Once he was tucked under his sheets, he went through his missed calls and messages. Most were from his parents, Kapil, Kapil's father, and other members of the shopkeepers' association. Only one caught his interest. It was a message that sat on top of his inbox. Sorry, I've been really bad with replying to messages. Very little network on set. Back in Bombay tomorrow. Let's get a drink on Thursday. Someone. Vikas thought he'd enjoy waking up without an agenda, days with just a want-to list, no have-to list. Each such day that passed wore him down. The dullness that settled into his mind was no longer a refuge from other thoughts. It was becoming his natural state. He resorted to hash as a means of making time easier to deal with. It was finally Thursday. He'd been counting down the days. His attempts to find new work had lost momentum. He kept every appointment he'd set up but he didn't make any more. Over time, he only took the meetings because it was easier than making up excuses to get out of them. Each time he spent money at a bar, he'd read the SMSs bank sent him. The available balance looked healthy. He didn't need to go back to the grind anytime soon. It was well past noon when Vikas got out of bed. Both his parents were out. 
Food in the fridge, home by dinner time. A note stuck to his bedroom door read. He got himself some lunch. There was nothing to do but look forward to an evening with Devika. With the house to himself, Vikas plonked himself in front of the TV in his parents' room. It was the biggest one in the house. As soon as he turned it on, an uncomfortably familiar feeling began to trickle down his spine. Before long, the trickle transformed itself into a flood. Chance has a strange way of popping into our lives. We only notice it when there is some context. Since he decided to eat in his parents' vacant room when the TV came on, it was already set to the news. Holding a plate of food in one hand, he was about to change channels when he caught it. Attempt made on Maharashtra CM's life flashed the headlines. Quietly he watched, placing small bites of food in his mouth, reminding himself he needed to chew. Every news channel carried the same story. The attempt was made when Chief Minister Tare was scheduled to attend a meeting with officials at the Mumbai Cricket Association. The agenda for the meeting was cooperation between the association and various state-level organisations ahead of the upcoming international under-19 cricket tournaments. Though no confirmed report has been released, unofficial reports from eyewitnesses claim an explosive device was detonated. The CM has been rushed to Leelavati Hospital in Bandra. He is currently admitted to the ICU. The event took place at 9.27am and we will stay with this story as it breaks across the nation. Vikas's mind raced back to his conversation with Tarun in the holding cell. Who was Tarun? What was his agenda? How much of that conversation could lead back to Vikas? It was all too recent and shockingly familiar to be sheer coincidence. His thoughts could have gone out to Parag. His relationship with his father was probably strained. In the midst of his first campaign, an attempt on his father's life would be nothing short of traumatic. There was so much that could be done. There was time to craft a story with just the right amount of lies to distance himself adequately from all of it, just in case Tarun was involved. In fact, he had time to be proactive and talk to the police about his suspicions. He could be the one providing information that might lead to the people behind the attack. The range of options were extreme. On one end of the spectrum was the possibility of being charged for treason and conspiracy to murder a sitting chief minister. On the other hand was the possibility of being a national hero, of helping to apprehend dangerous criminals. Even if the truth was somewhere in the middle, not as dramatic, at least he would have done his part in communicating his suspicions. Before his mind could process all that information, it went blank. Too much electricity was passing through circuitry that couldn't take the load. It simply shorted out. His eyes were open, but he was not really thinking. To an observer, it might have seemed like Vikas was casually flicking channels while he ate his lunch. The truth was that his body did so only because it stopped receiving any impulses to the contrary from his brain. When he was a child, he was scared of monsters under his bed. His mother had taught him that the solution was to flash torchlight under the bed. Each time he did, they were gone. No monster under his bed, no monsters in his head. It was a sound plan with only one problem. It didn't have a contingency. 
Nobody ever told him what to do with the monsters if the light illuminated them. Now that the monsters were chomping and snarling at him, all his well-thought-out plans fell by the wayside. He had no contingencies. Vikas hailed an auto. There was a strange clarity in his mind. It felt like he was looking in at his life from the outside. He made himself a list of rules for the evening. Not more than four drinks. She'll attract a lot of attention. Don't lose your cool. You're not welcome at these fancy places. Expect some dirty looks. The driver seemed like he knew where he was going. There was still a long way to go. Vikas barely noticed the auto turn into a narrow street. He recognised it. It was actually the shorter route. It was, however, still unpaved and full of potholes. A shortcut for the adventurous. A few drops of rain fell on the windscreen. Vikas patted his pockets, making sure all his supplies were in place. Showing up stoned might seem rude. It was smarter to roll one and smoke it with her. It was what led to their first conversation. A motorbike passed by. His auto was no longer the only vehicle on the road. The street was particularly dim. Some of the streetlights weren't functioning and some of those that were weren't as bright as they should have been. Narrow and long, the beam from his auto's headlight hit the bike that passed them. It had come to a halt and was parked across the narrow street. It had been transformed from a vehicle to a roadblock. Both the men on it were standing beside it with their hands up, gesturing for the auto to stop. It did. Before Vikas had any time to ask the driver any questions, he saw the man pull his keys out of the ignition and sprint away. He stumbled as he passed the bike parked in front of them. Without the headlight, things around Vikas had gotten very dark. He heard the unmistakable sound of another bike coming towards him. Until that moment, there was only confusion. Vikas got out of the auto and squinted at the men who still stood beside their bike. He'd expected them to advance towards him. Oddly, they just stood there and stared. There was a vast complex on one side of the street. Someday it would be home to offices where thousands of people would spend their working weeks. That was at least a year away. For the moment, it seemed deserted. On the other side of the street was a slum. It looked temporary. It was probably a stopgap living arrangement for the labourers who worked on the construction. The sound of the second motorbike had died out. Vikas didn't have time to worry. It sounded like a dull thud coming from somewhere behind him. He didn't feel the blow to the back of his head. The impact from his limp body falling face first on the unpaved street didn't register either. Before his senses left him, he saw no white light and heard no orchestral music. There was no anger towards the men responsible for his state. We are told that in times like these, people have their life flash before their eyes, snippets edited together to form a cathartic chronology of events that mattered. In that moment, he saw nothing. The last sliver of consciousness in his mind carried only a smell. Most of it was the wet dirt he lay in, 
but that wasn't all of it. A small whiff of food being cooked over an open flame drifted in from the slum. The stationary auto just a few feet away had its own resting odour, a combination of fumes and engine grease. Some grass from the side of the street added some freshness to the mix. Unfortunately, Vikas had no thoughts left. The last one his mind could put together was already floating away as if it rode on clouds. Smells like the Bombay I love. I love. I love.